obviously I'm not Pastor Mitch. Uh, I'm a youth pastor. I'm David. But uh, I did want to, to honor Pastor because uh, who he is, I, I take for granted, I take advantage. And so it's a blessing to be under him. It's a, it's a blessing to have him praying for me every single day. And I'm grateful. Like, my life has changed. We've been coming to church here since uh, 2006. And I'm a completely different person because of the teaching I'm under here. So we love you, Pastor. Uh, I don't know if you're watching or watch it later, but uh, it's an honor to, to go to church here and be on staff. And uh, so, but getting into what I want to share tonight, uh, God kind of changed everything I was planning on talking about like two weeks ago and just started shifting it. So I'm really excited to share with you what he's put on my heart. But before I get started, I want to ask some questions to see if this applies to y'all. If not, I'll just give the mic back to someone else, and we'll get on. So uh, raise your hand if you currently have kids in your house, living in your house, all right? You can put your hands down. What about, raise your hand if you got, currently got kids in college? If you, all right, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand is there, if you have grandkids. All right, you can put your hands down. Now, if there's anybody who did not raise their hand, raise your hand if you know someone between the ages of 8 and 19. All right, and Jason, can you stand up and wave to everybody? Everybody say, what's up, Jason? All right, now you know somebody between the ages of 8 and 19, so I tricked you. This is for you. All right, this is perfect. And so uh, I want to uh, share with you Something that God has burdened, burdened my heart with. My team knows this. Our students know this. Uh, but in front of us, we have one of the biggest mission opportunities that our, that our church, that America has ever seen. And it's, it's right in front of us. And tonight, I want to open our eyes to that and show you the role that we as a church have to play, that every single person in this room has, has a role to play in that. And this is called the Great Opportunity. I didn't come up with that name. The people who, who did this did, but that's a great name. So what is the great opportunity? The great opportunity, uh, based on this research and all this stuff I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, says they are projecting by the year 2050, if Jesus isn't back yet, the year 2050, that 42 million Gen Zers will leave the church. But they said the, the great opportunity that if we revert back to Gen X retention rates, meaning two generations ago, we go back to the retention rates of Gen X, that number will cut from 42 million leaving the church to 20 million leaving the church. In essence, 22 million people, Gen Zers, staying in the church and not leaving. And that is what they're, they're calling the great opportunity. That 22 million is more than every uh, revival in American history combined. So we have an opportunity in front of us, that, and that's what, as I saw these stats uh, a few months ago, and it, it really has just burdened me and gripped me. And so I, I did a Google search. I don't know how accurate it is. Google says there's roughly 200 million Christians in America, or people that classify as Christian. 42 million, I'm not great at math, but my math, is, it's like 20%. I don't, I don't know if that's, y'all can, if, if it's wrong, tell me. But in essence, we're talking there's a potential of 20 million, or sorry, 20% of the church leaving by the year 2050. And me and Pastor Rocky talk about it. I think you could actually argue, like, it could be more because as time has gone on, the world has done nothing but push even harder and harder and harder against us. And I ain't going to bore you with how they come up with this number. If you want to know, come talk to me. But they don't take into account how society and our world is pushing even harder. And so 
that's the great opportunity. 42 million potentially leaving our church. What is that going to do uh, to the American church as we know it? And so uh, the first thing we got to do is we got to define who is Gen Z. And depending on what people you read, they say it's people born between 1995 or 97 to 2012. That is Gen Z. And so uh, I'm going to now get into some stats. So don't fall asleep on me. Our students do this sometimes. But you have to, this kind of lays the groundwork for everything else and, and understanding who this generation is and how this generation works and, and what this generation needs. And uh, the stats and all this research, it's Barna, Pew, Baylor, and then Feed, if you're one of those people who like all of these things. But uh, I read through this stuff every couple of weeks and like it, it honestly, it saddens me. Like it's alarming. Like it, it breaks my heart. Like you can ask, ask, ask our team, like, I read this stuff, and, like, I just cry when I read it because it, 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 it's shocking. And so I'll get into it. But as you see, like, pastors have been saying for the past few months, really for a very long time, what's, been, what's being pushed in our schools, what's being pushed in the media, what's being pushed on social media, what's being pushed in the movies, TV, and the music, all that stuff, like, these stats prove what they're doing is working. And, and you'll see. So uh, before I get into the alarming stats, one cool thing about Gen Z is the most diverse generation we have ever seen. They are 48% non-Caucasian, so half of them, versus the baby boomer generation was only at 18%. So we've seen a drastic change. So we see, number one, they're the most diverse generation of all time. All right, now here's where it starts to get alarming. 27% of U.S. teens say they have had same-sex attraction in the past three months. That's almost one out of three. In the past three months, same-sex attraction. In 2001, 57% of Americans opposed same-sex marriage. In 2019, 39% opposed same-sex marriage. It's almost a 20% drop. We see 70% of U.S. teens rarely or never talk about spiritual things with others who do not share their beliefs. So 7 out of 10 U.S. teens say they never or rarely witness or evangelize or talk about their faith to other people who disagree with them or don't share. We see uh, 51% of Gen Z classify as Christian. They would say they're Christian, which is half. But then after some further questions, one out of four, 25% of Christian Gen Zers say they read their Bible once a week. That's 12% of the total of our, our American teens say they read their Bible once a week. To go on to read it every day, 3%. So 3% of U.S. teenagers say they read their Bible every day. They say church is not relevant, and they've opted to find God elsewhere. And so one of the cool things with Gen Z, you see, they want what they call realness. They want to be authentic. Uh, and so my generation, the millennials, they were known, they wanted to be unique. They wanted to be different. They wanted to be set apart. Gen Z doesn't care as much about that. They want realness. They want authenticity. And it, you'll see as I, as I talk, this will help lay the groundwork on how we got to reach this generation. And uh, globally, Gen Z teens have an average of 9.4 social media accounts. Any, like, that baffles me, 9 nine social media accounts. 
It says U.S. teens spend an average of seven and a half hours online daily between cell phones, video games, computers, whatever it is, seven and a half hours. They say the average attention span of the U.S. teenager is eight seconds. How they figure that out, I don't know. But, but probably this stat right here is the, the key stat for all of it to understanding this generation. One study said that Gen Zers listed listening and reading options five and six out of seven of the, ways they, the best ways they learn. So they said the best ways they learn, listening and reading, were number five and number six out of seven. All right, so that shows right there that they don't want someone to sit there and talk, you know, lecture them to read this. They want someone to walk life with them, to take and have a relationship with them. But what we end up doing is we're just lecturing at them and we're talking to them and we're, we're not showing them, and I'll get into that later, but that's exactly what we're doing. They want to see somebody do what we're saying. And so three, in a, three out of five U.S. Gen Zers say YouTube is their number one preferred learning method. All right, which is kind of scary. And then parents, you'll all chuckle at this one. This is my last one, I promise. 75%, three out of four uh, U.S. Gen Zers say they know more than their parents about important issues because of social media. So, yeah, so, so hopefully as I read through all that, you see, like, that is alarming and we got a problem on our hands. And if we don't do something about it, what, I don't know what's going to happen to the church. And so we got what I call the Gen Z problem. And so can I, can I be real? I, I call it with the students. Can I be hot, honest, open, and transparent? Can I do that with y'all? Yes, I need head nods. Yeah, all right, thumbs up, thumbs down, something. All right. So can I be, I'm going to be hot. One of the biggest reasons that we're seeing this alarming rate of them leaving the church is because Gen Z doesn't find Jesus and the church attractive. They don't see what we're doing every week and what we're talking about as attractive. And I'm going to get into to why uh, that's happening. But the world's kicking our butts in this area. Like I say it all the time, you pull out your phone, you get on social media, you get on YouTube, you get on TV, you listen to the radio, they are pushing their agenda hard. They're pushing, you know, drugs, sex, have fun, be yourself, be whatever you want. They're pushing that hard, and they're kicking our tails. And so if they're fighting that aggressively and putting it that aggressive, we have to fight back even more aggressively than that. And so Gen Z's got what I call all the spiritual junk food all around them, and it looks more attractive than what we have to offer. And that's a reflection, to be honest, of me, you, the church. And, and that's where I want, I want us to see. And so, like I said, you can turn your TV on. You can listen to the music that they listen to. It's, it's being pushed everywhere. And so what we see, Gen Z wants conversation, not information. Right? And this is a, a, a shift. They, they want to know the why. And if you've talked to kids today, they want to know the why for everything. When I was still coaching, we actually saw the shift of this happening. When I was coming through high school and college and playing sports, I used sports a lot. If my coach told me to do something, it was, all right, we'll do it. Hey, you go chew these rocks, and it will make you a better football player. Yes, sir. And we're going to go chew some rocks. I, you, I believe you. Let's go do it. Run through this wall. Yes, sir. We're going to run through the wall. But what we see when I was literally coaching, I remember we saw the shift happen. And the kids started to want to know the why. All right, we're doing this drill, working on our steps. All right, 
Coach Nixon, why do I got why do I need to do these same steps every single day? Practice taking the six-inch step on air. What is the reason behind it? And so we had to shift what we were doing, not take our discipline away or or change how we do it, but we now had to start explaining what we were doing and the benefit it gave them. And so, like I said, it, it all plays into they want to be real. They want to learn, they learn in a different way. And so what we see, Gen Z looks at us. They look at the world, and to be honest, they see nothing different. They see, uh, like, they say, hey, y'all say life with Jesus is fulfilling, that it's satisfying, that it's fun, but I'm watching y'all, and I'm watching the church, and I'm watching Christians, and they're unsatisfied. They're unfulfilled. They're miserable, and they're producing no fruit. And that's what they're seeing. And, and so, like I said, I'm included in this. This isn't me just telling y'all to get yourself in gear. This is a church as a whole, and it isn't just Victory Church. This is the church in America. And so let's talk about how this has happened. How did we get to the point where they're projecting 42 million kids leaving the church? And so I think, in my opinion, it falls on us. It falls on the church. It's not on Gen Z. I'm going point because most of them are over there it's not on them that's on us and so I want to switch the focus off of them onto us for a, a, a little bit and so we have to see the the enemy he has intentionally overstimulated us right? and, and that's our lives we are overstimulated and so we're so overstimulated our appetites for Jesus it, it, we're so full on junk we're oversaturated with junk that we have no appetite to crave Jesus we don't we don't it's, it's not there and it's because we're in this media saturated world where we're constantly surrounded by images sounds videos like think about how often you sit in silence or here just here it's quiet everybody walks around with earbuds in now there used to be headphones now everybody's got the wireless earbuds I don't genius by them to market that I mean no, I mean, seriously, we'll make them wireless, and then we'll make this little thing that connects them, a little string, and we'll charge you for that. So, like, now you really are back to where we started, but it just, I guess it looks cool. But whatever, that's a, off my soapbox. But, like I said, we're so overstimulated, oversaturated, that our appetite for Jesus, the real, the real food, the real thing, isn't there. And so we become so full on all this other junk. And so what we have to do is I say we have to look in the mirror first. When attacking this great opportunity and attacking this generation, we have to look at ourselves first before we look at them. And that's, where, that's one of the things I want you to walk away with tonight, that evaluate where am I in this? What, what role am I playing? And so Gen Z is no different than us. They're filled with just as much junk, if not more, because, like I said, all the social media, all the online interactions – they have, I mean, for goodness sake, this generation is growing up with a screen in front of them from birth. Like, they're going to be the first generation ever. You're going to be the first generation to go their entire life having social media. And so we don't know what the implications of all that is yet, but it doesn't look very good. And so what they say, life with Jesus ain't worth my time. It doesn't look attractive. Like, and that hurts me. That saddens me, especially the position I'm in. It's saying, hey, what I'm doing is a losing battle. And like I tell our team, like I, I refuse to accept that. 
Like I refuse to, to say we're, what we're doing is for one day down the road, maybe they'll stay. Like, no, we, we refuse to accept these stats, and so we're going to fight it. And so my question to us as a church is what are we hungering and thirsting for? Because this generation is watching. What are we hungry and thirsty for as a church? And one thing I know, and I tell our students, is everyone is hungry. Everyone is thirsty. What I mean by that is everybody is searching. They're actually all searching for Jesus, and some of them don't even realize it. I, I, I talk about the, the toy, my youngest, Jackson. He's two. He's got this, you know, y'all know the toy with the little box with the different shapes on top the X, the star, the circle, the square, and you got to put the shapes in. It's like we all have a God-shaped void in our heart that only he can fill. But we try to fill it and, and search for answers and everything else in, in drinking and drugs and movies and friends and sports and work, whatever it might be. So everybody's searching for this answer, and Jesus is the answer. And so that's where we have to show this generation that, that hunger, people will say, hey, they're not hungry for God. Well, the, the hunger isn't the issue. Hunger is actually a sign of health. Pastor says it all the time. Think about when your kids are sick or you're, you're, you're sick like you don't want to eat. So hunger is the sign of a healthy person. And what we see, God doesn't rebuke us for being hungry. He doesn't rebuke us for being thirsty. He rebukes us for eating spiritual junk. So Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, it says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come. Take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Right there. We just got to come and eat and drink. It says, verse 2, Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Right there. That's the spiritual junk. The stuff that we constantly keep in front of our eyes. And, and sometimes it's not even bad stuff. Like it, it's not even stuff that is, is, is wrong. It might just be, hey, I'm watching, I'm spending too much time reading, you know, about sports. Like that, there's, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with sports. I, I'm a sports guy, but if it's taking up so much of my time that I don't have an appetite to now go spend time with Jesus, all right, it's like you eat the junk food and you eat so much junk food, you're stuffed, you're full, but you feel unsatisfied. That's what we're talking about. So it says, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. All right, I'm going to give a, a story to help paint this picture. Uh, we had a friend that gave us, y'all know, like HelloFresh, those, those type things. Hello, I don't know the other ones. There's a whole bunch of them now. But somebody gave us a HelloFresh meal. And, you know, it's like all the ingredients you need to make it. And it's super good, fresh ingredients, all this stuff. And I don't even remember what it was, some type of chicken and rice thing now. It was, I mean, it was really good. So it's like one, one hour, like from the box to the table, one hour. That, like, that's a lie in itself. But that's, that's another story. All right. And so, like, I remember that night for dinner, I was like, oh, I'm going to cook this meal. I mean, I cooked rice, like I uh, roasted rice. I mean, I did all sorts of stuff. I browned the chicken on one side and the broil. It was crazy stuff, it, but it took like two and a half hours, like over double. I'm over there like chopping this little stuff up. I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like having to, I'm having to go to YouTube to figure out how to do some of this stuff. So there you go. But what we see is in that process, I was getting hungry. I was getting frustrated. 
it was a whole lot easier for me to drive down the street to Sheets. Don't hate on Sheets. Two hot dogs for a dollar. All right? But it was a whole lot easier for me to drive to Sheets, and I could be back. I could have made like three or four Sheets run, got drinks, came back, got hot dogs, came back, gone and got milkshakes, and come, I mean, before that meal was done. But it was not nearly as satisfying as the, that HelloFresh, that chicken and rice, whatever it was. I don't even, do you remember what it was? What it was? I know it was good, whatever. It was like cheesy rice with some chicken and some fresh broccoli and all this stuff. But y'all see what I'm saying is they don't see that this extra prep, all this work, they don't see the benefit. I can go down the street to McDonald's and get something like that, right? That's the spiritual junk. And so what we have to do is we, as the church, have to show them. They have to see in our lives that all this extra work, all that extra time, uh, we spend in the Word, we spend in our prayer closet, we do in all these things, it's got to show, it's got to be that nice meal at the end. It's got it's to have that good presentation that you take a picture and post online and like, hey, look what I made for dinner tonight, right? I mean, yeah, y- y'all know what I'm saying. People do that, right? And so we see Matthew 5, 6, it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And originally, that's what I was going to talk about was hunger and all this stuff. I had like four pages of scripture on hunger, and God just kind of starts shifting all this stuff. And so what we see, hunger, like I said, hunger isn't the problem, all right? It, it, God doesn't rebuke us for being hungry. That's actually a sign of health. The problem is what we're eating. And so we have to redirect our appetites. Like I said, I'm talking to us. I'm not talking to, to Gen Z. We have to redirect our appetites before we can redirect their appetite because they're not going to learn the way that previous generations have learned. They're not going to learn by just uh, you telling me to do something in a lecture. Right? They want to, they, hey, come, come show me. Come walk with me. Come sit down with me. And so we redirect our appetite. Like I said, hunger isn't the problem. It's what we are hungering for. If I'm eating a very unhealthy diet, as you can tell, I eat a lot. All right? Working on that. Like, have some grace for me. But if I'm eating an unhealthy diet, the answer isn't just to stop eating. All right? Eventually, I would die. The answer is to change my diet. And that's what we have to do spiritually. It, we, we don't say, hey, stop being hungry. No, let's remove TV. Let's remove social media. Let's remove whatever that is. And let's take that and replace it with God. All right? And, and that's a whole other thing talking about like, that's part of the reason we fast. It breaks us from that, that craving of those other things. And so, uh, but one of the things w- we have to do is we have to show them that by our actions, by the life, our life, that what's inside of us is the answer. All right, that has to be something that they see, not something we tell them. They have to see that our life, that our actions is the answer, that, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the living water. They have to see that with their eyes. And so, like I've said, when they look at us, when they look at the, the American church, they got to see what we have to offer is better than the world. They have to, they have to see it with their eyes. And so, uh, as I was preparing, I kept thinking of the story of the fig tree in Mark 11, verse 12 and 13. It says, the next morning... As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. There we go. He's hungry. He noticed the fig tree in full leaf a little way off. 
So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Number one, we see Jesus was hungry. Like I said, everybody is hungry. All right? The tree was in full leaf. It looked like it should have fruit. It had the appearance of someone that is living a life in relationship with Jesus. It gave the outer appearance that way. But after closer examination, when Jesus got up to the tree, there ain't no fruit on this tree, and we all know what he did afterwards, but that ain't part of this. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm going to use the story. Uh, we just bought is it a ladder, blanket ladder, ladder blanket thing. Y'all, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? In your homes, you get this little thing that looks like a ladder, but it's not really a ladder because if you climb on it, it would shatter. I got rhymes. I got bars, kids. Look at that. Look at that. Sheesh. So, but I need, am I the only person that's ever seen one of these things or have one in our house right now? Like, all right, Lindsay's got one. Okay, just I'm talking to me and Lindsay then. All right, and so this like ladder thing that you put blankets on, you lean it against your wall. My, yeah, that thing, yeah. And so we got this in our house now. Ashley brought it home one night. It's like, oh, this is cool. And she brought blankets to put on it. But then they tell me, don't use these blankets. What? They don't use these blankets. They're for looks. They're not actually even comfortable at all. You wouldn't want to use them. I'm like, I can't put my like snuggy, my super fluffy blanket. They're like, no. I'm like, that's the, that's the fig tree. Like, it gives the outward appearance. Oh, you're cold? Come use these blankets. Oh, when you get up to it, it's like, oh, this thing feels like a sackcloth or potato sack or sandpaper. And it's a fake ladder that my little kids would destroy if they put a foot on. But that's the fig tree. That's what Gen Z, the younger generation, when they see the church, that's what they see. They see us playing church. They see a bunch of people that have leaves and look like they got fruit, and they say, hey, I'm watching. I'm looking. I don't see a whole lot of fruit in your life. And, 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 that's, and that's where it is. We give an outward appearance. We're living a life devoted to Jesus. But the younger generation, they're always watching. Like, y'all, if you've had kids, you know that. They're always listening. They're always watching. And they say, hey, it looks like you're a tree in full bloom with full of leaves, but we're watching you, and that's not true. Like, so we, we get, y'all, I like sending gifts. If y'all know the little gift, gifts, however you say it. The kids know all the time. The, the text message of the little the images that move or the little videos, there's the one of the kid. He looks like he's holding two pieces of candy. He's like, Am I the only one that knows that one? Some of y'all have to, y'all know that one? The kid that's like looking at the two things in his hand? Angel, thank you, Angel. Angel, at least, thank you. So, but this, there's this gift I send, and he looks really confused. He's looking here, and he's looking there, and he doesn't know what decision he wants. He's just going back and forth. That's what Gen Z does with us. They, they look at the church, they look at the world. They look at the church, they look at the world, and it's like, hmm, I don't see a whole lot of difference. I see over here, y'all have all these rules, and all these things you're supposed to live by, but ultimately you are the same as them over here. And so uh, I've actually had students tell me this, like and th- that the world is more welcoming and more loving than the church. I actually have students tell me that the LGBT community and their LGBT friends are more loving than the church and their Christian friends. Like that's, that should be, a, that's a problem right there. That when they say that community is more welcoming and loving than the American church. 
And so uh, part of the reason I think we see that is they see religion and not relationships. And so they see what I call sin management instead of people living the gospel. And so what I mean by sin management, it means we focus on trying not to sin and focus on trying not to do this instead of just fixing our eyes on Jesus and letting that fix everything. We try to come to them and say, hey, stop doing this. You don't need to do that, right? We try to force this obedience on them. But what we see, remember, they want conversation, not information. They want relationship, not religion. And so if someone doesn't, Pastor Joshua talked about this some on Sunday, if we don't point them to the beauty of Jesus, like that's the goal, but we can't point them to the beauty of Jesus if us ourselves aren't there. Like we have to behold Jesus in his fullness and in his beauty. And so what we do is we point them to obedience, but they're not even in love yet. And so love and obedience are connected. But love has to come first. And so we're pushing people into obedience with someone they're not yet in love with. And so we have to take people to the place of being fascinated, to a place of beholding, and to a place of loving Jesus before we can start pushing obedience. Not saying we, 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 we say, hey, we allow them to sin and do whatever's wrong. No. But we have to get them to that place before we, they even recognize that this is wrong. And so, uh, like, how many of y'all know someone that, like, is so in love with Jesus, it just oozes out of them? Like, like all right, so y'all know that, like, you, you've seen those people, you know those people. Like, you're drawn to them. You look at them and you say, hey, that cat is different. Like, I, like, what do you have that I don't have? And that's what they don't see. Like, they're not seeing enough of that. And so, what we have to do is, like, we have to get to that point. We have to be so in love with Jesus, it's oozing out of us. That's the answer. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, if people were to examine my fruit, what would they see? Like, what, what appearance would it be? And so uh, we, when we discover something attractive, we long to imitate what we see. So whatever we see, Whatever we find attractive, we want to become that. Whatever we behold, we become. All right, a story before, uh, man, this was before we had kids when we were living in the apartments. Like, I was so attracted to TV. Like, let me tell you what I would do, like, back with cable and DVR days. I had all these shows, like, stupid shows, DVR. I would get up at, like, 4.30 because I was teaching. I had to be on duty at 6.45 in the morning, and Ashley can tell you, to watch like lizard lick towing on DVR, like, yeah, 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 like some stupid stuff on, like, like not even quality TV, like, but I was so attracted to it, I, I made that sacrifice, I was willing to lose sleep, go to sleep at midnight, get up at 4.30 to watch lizard lick towing the next day, like, that's where I was, and so we see whatever we behold, we become. Whatever we find attractive, we want to become. And so that's where we have to point and we have to become attracted to Jesus. Right? We have to, it has to become more evident. It has to become something that we're obsessed with, that we're fascinated with. And when that happens, it will start oozing out of you. And so they have to see the, the beauty of the gospel in our lives. But this isn't something we can do on our own. 
Like the only way that happens is the work of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that I can do to do that myself. There's nothing you can do to do that yourself because then you could earn it. Then you could do it on your own and you wouldn't need Jesus and all these other, that's a whole other talk. But what we do is you ask for a new hunger. You ask that the things of this world would go dim, grow dim. Like I wouldn't desire those things anymore. Like ask that your hunger for Jesus would shine and grow even bigger and brighter than what it is. And when we begin to hunger after Jesus, the world starts to become hideous to us. The closer you get to Jesus, the more the world begins to look gross and disgusting and you don't want to eat there anymore. It's like once you discover that nice HelloFresh meal, all right, well, those two hot dogs for a dollar don't look so appetizing, you know, don't look so good right now going to Sheets and getting my two hot dogs for a dollar. I don't even have good chili or any of that, but two for a dollar. So let me get off my Sheets and, and hot dogs. So, but the solution. So I've, I've said, hey, we got a, a Gen Z problem. This is how we got there. The solution to this, church, we got the greatest mission opportunity in the history of America right in front of us. Like, like don't let that slip. Like, we have the greatest mission opportunity in American history in front of us right now, currently playing out. And so when we talk about people leaving the church, this Gen Z, we're not talking about unchurched kids. We're not talking about kids from another religion. We're talking about kids that are currently sitting in our church on one Wednesdays and Sundays, kids that are currently in kids' church right now, kids that are sitting in here, kids that are in our youth group, kids that are in our Christmas program that are leaving. That's, the, that's what we're talking about right now. It isn't just we got to go out and evangelize. It's saying, hey, if we don't take care of what's in our house right now, if we don't take care of our home, we, we could lose it. And so that's what we're talking about. And so we see it's, number one, it starts in the family. All right, but then number two, it's the church. It, it's our responsibility as well. And like I said earlier, this generation want, wants realness. Like that's what they be, want to be known. They want to be known as real, as authentic. They're not looking for the unique, different, set apart. They just want to be real. And so they want conversation over information. They don't want someone to read to them. They don't want someone to lecture to them. They want someone to say, hey, come walk with me. Let me show you this. Let's hang out. How are you doing? Let me, let, oh, you know, and it's exactly what Jesus did. He, he, he walked with his disciples and he would, oh, there's a fig tree. Let me go over there and see. Oh, let me tell you about this. Oh, let me tell you about that. And so that's what they want. They want someone to sit down with them. They want someone to show them instead of telling them how to do it. And this is where the church comes into play. And uh, when I read this, out of the people that put the studies together actually challenged it. And I spent a couple of days like, I don't know, I don't agree with this statement. And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that actually is true. It said one of the least impactful factors on a teenager's faith is their peers. Their actual faith, their peers don't play a big role in their faith. They play a role in some of the stupid stuff they do. All right, but like their actual faith, it comes, the people that play the biggest role in that is the adults. The adults they interact with. So the adults in the home, if they're walking through these doors every week, the adults here, the ones that are talking to them, that are teaching them, their friends could, can push them to do some bad, make some bad decisions, make some good decisions, but actually their faith, that's something else. And they say actually by the age of uh, 35, 
like only 4% of people after the age of 35 changed their faith. Like 4% of, like, throughout history. So once you've turned 35, statistics show you're kind of, that's where you're at. And so we see Gen Z, I think the oldest in Gen Z was 95, I don't know my good amount, like 20-something. They're, they're getting to that age of like 25 to 35. They're right at the end of this, this, this train. And so that's where the, uh, what's the word, the, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think, Marine just, the uh, urgency, there we go. Thank you, Alyssa. Alyssa was whispering it to me. Thank you. The urgency is, is, is time to go right now. And so every interaction with them counts and it matters. And so my question to us, who is seeing your light? Is your light shining for everyone to see? Because, like I said, the young generation, they're looking. All right, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you've all heard salt and light. It's, everybody talks about it, but I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for some to see. No, it says for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. People should be drawn to us. All right, like if you leave your porch light on at night, what comes? Bugs, right? And then you've got to try to get in the door and you're like swatting, pulling the door real quick. All right, that's what should be happening to us. We should be oozing Jesus out of us so much that people are just drawn to us. They say, hey, something's different about you. What, what, why, are you why are you always this way? Why are you doing that's what? That's the answer to all this. It's not lecturing the younger generation. It's not telling them. It's not pushing them in its one, one, one direction or, or pushing them to do this. It's living a life they can see, living a life that is attractive to them. And so ask yourself this. How many kids in this church do you know by name? Before I came on staff, I was guilty of this, like my kids and maybe a few other. Like, like I was just as guilty before I came on staff. Like, how many of not just our teenagers do our kids do you know by name? Like that, that's one way to start because I said every interaction counts. They, they'll remember that, hey, I remember coming to church every day, and Miss, Miss, Miss Christina, this, she always smiled and said hey to me. I had no idea who she was. I don't know who she is. She just stands at the door every week and says, hey, to me. It's the wildest thing. But they'll remember that. That, that will make an impact on them. Verse, they just walk through the door, and we say nothing to them. My kids are running around acting like they act and jumping and screaming and, and, and yelling and all that. But to, to stop them and give them a high five, hey, hey, buddy, what's your name? Or once you learn it, give them a high five. Hey, Daniel, what's up, big dog? Like, and, and chase after them. Those things, they remember. It makes an impact. And so, uh, as, as I close, I, I, I said, we've, this is the great opportunity. Uh, this is the problem that's on our hands. This is how we kind of got there. Here's a solution. Now, I want to I share some things you can do. What are some practical things you, me, the church, the American church needs to do? Number one, we can pray and intercede for these kids. That you don't have to step foot in a kid's class or in, or, or in student ministry. You can pray and intercede, all right? And you can ask God. This is something I started doing recently to, like, God, burden my heart for what burdens you. 
Like, break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, I want to start seeing these kids and seeing these students and seeing these people the way you see them. All right, so ask them. Ask them, ask them say, give me a heart for this generation. All right, regardless of where you are in age, this generation, they're going to be the, the next group that comes. Whether we like this generation or not, that's who's coming. And so we got to do something. So number one, pray. You can pray for them. Number two, evaluate yourself. All right, just like the fig tree. What would people say if they took a closer look at your life? Would they see the fruit? Are people attracted to your life? I tell our students this. I say, hey, it's an issue if uh, you go through a semester of school and that kid who sits beside you every day at the end of the semester was like, hey, Millie, like, I had no idea that you go to church and you follow Jesus. Like, that's an issue. There should be, they should notice, hey, like, we start, like, people start cussing and, and acting up, and you always leave. Why do you do that? Or, or every time gossip starts happening, we notice you kind of leave or, or don't listen and, and don't participate. Or, like, hey, before lunch every day, like, you bow your head and close your eyes. What are you doing? Like, that's what I tell our students. And so to apply it to y'all, your coworkers should know based on, not because you're just shoving Jesus down their throat, like, Jesus loves you. If you don't accept Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. Like, no, not because of that, but because of the life you live, they should say, hey, something is different about Sydney. Something's different about Colin. I don't know what it is. Like, and they should see that. All right, so evaluate yourself. John 15, 8 says that my true disciples bear much fruit. Not some, much fruit. So that's number two. So we say, hey, pray for them. Number two, evaluate yourself. Number three, this isn't just a me and a Pastor Rocky issue in the church. Like it, I said, it's the family's job in the church. That doesn't just follow me, Pastor Rocky, and our teams. Like that's the whole church. We all play a part in this. Every single person has a part to play. Right, we have to model Jesus every day. And they have to see that. And we are all called to this generation. And that includes the kids and the teenagers. That's just not y'all. And they can tell you, I've been on them hard. Like that's what this school year is going to be. We're going to get our schools. That's what we're, we're going to attack the schools this year. And, and so we are all called to this genera generation. Every interaction with them counts. Like we have to take that ownership and have to take that responsibility. Because if we don't, the stats say 42 million are leaving. And what, what, what will the church be look like at that point? I have no idea because you're not just talking those 42 million. You're talking these kids and their and their husbands and their wives and their children no longer ever coming to church again. And so, like, one easy way, come to me and Pastor Rocky, ask, hey, like, what can I do? Can I adopt a, a, a student, adopt a kid? Like, not to take home, but, like, hey, some of them are like, yeah, y'all go ahead and take them home, please. Uh, but no, like, hey, like, I, I got somebody you can pray for every day. I'll give you their name. I'll point them out to you. So every time they walk in this building, you, you talk to them. Have a conversation with them. Ask them how school's going. Ask them how life's going. And spend time praying. Like, that's something we can do. And you never have to step foot in a classroom or in student ministry or on a trip or any of those things. So number one, we see we can... Uh, pray. Number two, evaluate yourself. Number three, we have to take ownership of this as a church. And number four, do you hunger for Jesus? 
because that's what they see. If, if you do these other things, but you're not hungering for Jesus, these kids will see right through it. Like, think about it. Y'all, y'all know when people are being real with you or people are being fake. Like, y'all know that. They, they, they know it just as well. And so, like I said, what we find beautiful, what we find fascinating, ultimately determines what we become. And so if we want them to fall in love with Jesus, they got to see that on us. And so you say, hey, maybe I'm not hungry. Maybe I want a, like, a bigger hunger. Like I said, you just ask for it. Ask for a new hunger. Ask for a deeper hunger, a bigger hunger. Like I, my call to y'all is let's not lose this generation. Let's not look back and say, hey, 42 million of them stepped out of the church and we didn't do anything about it. Like, if, if they're going to go, if that's going to happen, I'm going to go down swinging. Like, and, and you can talk to my team. Like, I, I refuse to accept that. I refuse to say that this generation, like, what me, what Pastor Cameron used to do, what I do currently, is for when they become 25, 26 years old. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to accept that they can't be walking in their calling right now. I refuse to accept that they can't be... They can't be the ones at their schools laying hands on the sick and the seeing the giftings manifest in their lives. Like, it can happen. I know it can. And so I want to close it a little different tonight than what we normally would. So I'm going to ask uh, if we got any kids. I know we got all of our teens. If y'all would come up here, and, uh, can we pray over them? Can we do that? And so y'all, y'all come on up here. Come on. Oh, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. So, uh, but if y'all want to, if you want to stay at your seat and stretch your hand, or if you want to come up here and we'll surround them and we're going to pray over them and pray uh, for a heart for this generation. Like I said, I'm going to close it a little different. Y'all come on, y'all come on up. There you go, there you go. Come on, my team. So, Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you uh, for this generation, Father. We thank you for Gen Z, Father. We thank you that this generation is going to be the generation that is going to usher in the coming of Jesus, Father. That this generation is going to be the generation that is going to see the greatest revival in the history of the church, Father. That you will use these kids and these teens, Father. That they will step into their callings, Father. That they would be the ones that would bring it in, Father. That they would be the ones to lay hands on the sick and they would cover father that they would be the ones casting out demons father that they would be the ones that would raise the dead father that this generation father will be the generation that changes the world father i pray right now over each one of these students each kid in this building tonight father that there would be a drawing father a wooing father i ask that you put your angels around them father right now father any uh, attempt of the enemy to snatch them away from their calling i come against it in the name of jesus Father, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to them and reveal the giftings and the callings in their life, Father. You would show them the plans that you have for them, Father. That this generation, that these students right here, Father, that they would be the ones, Father, that families would be changed because of them. That schools would be changed because of them. That their neighborhoods would be changed because of them. Because of their boldness. I pray a supernatural boldness over each one of their lives. Father, a boldness to preach the gospel, to be unashamed to stand up and to hold the the truth and the values that you have put in them. So I thank you, Father. I ask right now that every person in this church, Father, a heart for this generation, the kids, the students, us as adults, give us a heart for this generation. Father, give us a hunger, a hunger for you, Father, that anything that is not of you, 
our desire for it would go away. It would disappear, Father, that we would hunger for only you. Father, reveal these things to us. If there's things in our lives that are pulling us away from you, show it to us. We thank you, Father, for the drawing that you're doing. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this generation, Father. And I thank you uh, for speaking to each one of these students, Father. I thank you for the, the miracles that they will do, Father. And we thank you for the lives and, the, and the, the states, the countries that will be changed because of them. And this is all for your glory. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen.